Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 111 of the Mandolin's of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. How is everybody doing? I want to thank Mitch, Michael, and Stuart for joining up to my Patreon. They signed up for the $8 uh, sponsorship. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, I had forgotten to add the lower ones. Uh, somebody reminded me, so I've added a $1 and a $2 now, I've also added a $10 one, a super fan feature, and after 90 days, you get a free shirt if you sign up for that. So you can also sign up for an annual subscription as well instead of doing it monthly, and you get a 10% discount. So that option is live on there now as well. I want to thank my sponsors this week. We got Straight Up Strings is back. They have, again, I always say this every week because it's true. You have to go to the website and look at the science behind how Roger developed these strings it's crazy how much work they put into this and i mean cj lewandowski and tristan scroggins use them so there's something right there they're fantastic strings and not only that they're 8.95 a set which is a great deal but if you buy a six pack you get six for 43.95 and you save nine dollars and 75 cents you should really check them out they've got two different gauges medium and heavy and again just go to the website which is straightupstrings.com and just look at the science and how much thought was put behind this. It's 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 awesome, man. Uh, so thank you to Roger and everyone over at Straight Up Strings. Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation's got streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You can learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in the roots music. Who, you ask? Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Feibish, and Chad Manning. That's who. From beginners all the way up to theory and that magic that Aaron Weinstein does on those jazz melody things. You can learn it all at Peghead Nation. And they're going to give you your first month for free. Just go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MandolinBeer at checkout. That's all one word. Thank you, Peghead Nation. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. They get a great shout out from Mary on this episode, by the way. Uh, check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com. Download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. And if you aren't on their Instagram, you're missing out on high quality mandolin content. Speaking of high quality mandolin content as well, Pava, dedicated to building for the impassioned player. Bill, right there in Austin, Texas. Go over there and Check them out. Ellis has actually a great Instagram as well, so be sure to follow Ellis, and they also sponsor alternating episodes. And Ear Trumpet Labs. They're celebrating 10 years of hand-building microphones in Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed, have great feedback rejection for live use, and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments, whether for a single source like mandolin or single micing a full string band. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com. My buddy Jared Walker with Billy Strings, they were just on Jimmy Kimmel. This is national television, people. And guess what mics they chose to use when they performed on Jimmy Kimmel? Ear Trumpet Labs. That says it all right there. All right, everybody. Already talked about the Patreon. Please follow me on Instagram, FaceSpace. If you want to know more about what songs are being played or sampled, you can go to mandolinsandbeer.com where I have them listed out. You can find the song, the artist, and the album. And, uh... Yeah, check out this interview with Mary. It's a fantastic conversation. Cheers, everybody.
All right, now it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast this week's Mandolin Monday guest, Mary Meyer. Mary, how are you? Hey, doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you. It's so nice to talk to you today. And um, what a weird, what a weird way that um, I, we ended up getting in touch. I had talked to Harry Clark uh, last oh, week, yeah. and um, he had mentioned, "Oh, you have you had Mary Meyer on the show?" And I'm like, "Not yet." And I'm like, "But I have this huge list of names, you know." And and he's like, "You should, man, you should reach out to her. She'd be great on there." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm familiar with her playing." And then I thought I had sent you a, a message, which it never went through. And Monday morning, I wake up, and the first thing I check is Mandolin Cafe, and there you are. I'm like, "Holy cow! It's the, she's the Mandolin Monday." And then I went to oh, check wow. to see if you saw my message, and I'm like, oh, "I didn't send." Oh <laughs> so, wow! Yeah. So I had to text Harry and be like, "Can I get your number?" <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad we made this connection, and congrats on the Mandolin. That's a that's a big deal, man. Yeah. Thank you. Me too. I mean, that was really fun. I'm I'm grateful to David. Benedict for posting that and everything. And uh, yeah, Mandolin Mondays is so fun to watch and see everybody from literally everywhere in the different styles, different mandolins. I don't know. That's really fun. But um, Harry, Harry Clark is awesome. He's I've known him like 12 years now. I think we were tiny and we met in Branson, Missouri. And we were playing in this little contest down there. So it's just it's funny living in Nashville now because I'm like, I'm like, wait, weren't we just in Branson and we're like <laughs> teenagers? I wasn't even a teenager yet. And anyway, it's small world now that we're all in Nashville. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's a, just a really great group. I mean, I guess that's part of Nashville's charm is there's just so many incredible players there because that's it's kind of the place to be if you want to have things like Diamond Rio contact you about playing uh, gigs with them. Man, yeah. That was crazy. So uh, my friend Janae Fleener, she plays with Blake Shelton, but she's just an amazing, I mean, obviously she's amazing. If you don't know who she is, you should. Uh, she's incredible. But yes, they had called her for the gig and she's like, well, I'm already busy and call Mary Meyer. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you recommended me. Thank you so much. So yeah, that was, that was incredible. I got to fill in for them for a couple weekends and they had called me on a Tuesday night. And I couldn't get to everything until 11 p.m. And they were like, well, can you go with us on, let's see, we're leaving on Thursday night and we have shows Friday and Saturday. And I was like, yeah, I'll <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was pretty nerve wracking. I mean, just listening to the to all of the material, they play a total of 26 tracks no. in their 75 minute set. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, my, my hands right. are sweating just thinking about it. <laughs> it. It made me so nervous. And anyway, so I was just listening to that day and night. And um, of course, they do like medleys where they do a chorus of this song and a verse of that song. But you've got to have all the changes. And yeah. Anyway, I think I had it down pretty well by the last show that I played with them, which was like seven shows in. <laughs> so... But they were really happy with what I did, and I'm really grateful that that, you know, the cramming of information and songs and lyrics worked out. So yeah, I'm really glad to have been able to do that. Um, did they send you charts or anything, or just the just the tracks and like here's what we do? They sent me like a mix of Gene Johnson's like what he hears in his ear. Oh, okay, and cool. So it's like his vocal turned up and mandolin parts turned up a little bit. And then they told me to listen to the live album. So I'd kind of go between 
the live version of the song and then the little mix that Gene had sent. And there, no, I had to chart everything myself, which I'm grateful for because I can go, you know, chart and then write a couple of the lyrics that I needed to remember. And uh, for the first show, I had had nine pages down, (laughs) like taped to the taped at the stage next to me and they the crew were giving me such a hard time about it they're hilarious though that it was so much fun oh, i need more tape guys <laughs> i know i was like i'm sorry i'm using your whole roll of tape and one of the guys was like this stuff is expensive i was like i didn't know <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, hey guys sorry it's, it's part of the job fellas <laughs> right like i'd rather know how to sing these songs than and have you run out of tape than me not be able to sing so go back to the mandolin mondays real quick how did you choose uh lady be good for your tune so i had a really hard time choosing a song and then so i was thinking i'd do something original and then just realized like lady be good is something that i play out a lot so like i play down at the station with my brother john and uh, we play that almost every time we play down there just because it's such a fun song to jam on. And I actually, uh, a couple years back, we made this little CD with my granddad and we called it the Granddaddy Sessions. And he's an incredible jazz drummer down in New Orleans. So we had him play drums on it. And that's one of the songs that we played with him. And so I really, I just can't really get away from that song. It's, I love it. And I have a lot of special memories with it. And so figured I'd just try my hand at it. Yeah. Well, you did a great job. It's a excellent version. And thank um, you. one of the things I noticed too, in doing like YouTube research and all that great stuff is you've had really excellent tone for a really long time. <laughs> like, I mean, wow, you can listen thank to, you. Yeah, you can listen to something of you from like 2014 or 2016 and be like, wow, she already had great tone. And um, yeah, you can really hear it on that recording. And, and actually, even on the um, you played mandolin on that uh, Theo and Brenna album, too, right? Yes, I did. That's great. There's some stuff on there that's very uh, Adam Steffi reminiscent, yeah. which is not e- that's not an easy guy to kind of make it like you. You could think potentially if you're listening, be like, oh, man, that is that Adam Steffi possibly playing on this album? It's wow. Killer thank tone. you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. When I was when I was starting out on mandolin, I was 11. And for about two years, I just chopped. I couldn't pick very well. And I figured I'd just work on chopping. Well, I wasn't able to pull tone. I was just this tiny kid. I was (laughs) this really tiny, skinny little kid. And my arms are like a toothpick. And so I remember thinking like, man, Adam Steffi has like this, like this man arm. You know what I mean? And I I was like, I'm just going to imagine that I have this like big man forearm and then I can hit stuff. (laughs) So I was like, just hit it, hit it like a man. And so that's, that's literally how I like talked myself into being able to play it and have some aggression with it because it's um, 
I, I feel like if you're going to play percussion with mandolin in a hard drive and bluegrass band, like there's got to be, there's got to be some umph in there. And I just wasn't getting it until I imagined like, just put Adam Steffi's forearm on my arm, <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious, but that's literally how I did it. Oh my so. gosh. That's, that'd be a great, uh, like great Halloween meme, like Frankensteining uh, I know, uh, his like, arm on your body. Oh no. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah. wow! So, how did you how did you find yourself playing a mandolin at twelve? So, what happened was we grew up in classical music, and so I'd played cello and piano as a really little kid. Oh, cool! And yeah, that's something. So, like John used to play euphonium, and all of my brothers played brass. And anyway, so we, my dad had a guitar, and my brother John saw an ad in the paper for a banjo and it was at this yard sale. And he's like, mom, can you get that? Or however it went, either mom saw it and liked it. They kind of tell different versions of the stories. So I'm not sure, <laughs> but basically mom comes home from this yard sale with a banjo and John starts to learn that. And eventually they, um, they start this little band. We bought an upright bass and a brother of mine already played violin. So he's like, I'll learn fiddle. And, I was like, mom, if we get a mandolin, we'll have a full bluegrass band and I can play with the boys. And so I was never like, I love mandolin. I want to learn that. Or even I love bluegrass. It was just like, if we get one, I'll learn it and I'll be part of the band. And I never really thought like, can I learn it? It just was like, let's get one and I'll learn it. And I want to <laughs> play with the band. So <laughs> that's how I got into it. And uh, it's funny because it's, I'll hear different mandolin players that started because they love mandolin. And I'm just like, oh, I play like I don't know all the serial numbers you're talking about about so-and-so's mandolin from 1976 but I like mine <laughs> oh that's hilarious that's so funny and I um one of the earlier videos out there is um I, you guys are real little and it's like you guys had the littlest brother playing the bass it looks like yeah <laughs> it was hilarious and he's yeah. crushing it <laughs> I know Jimmy is so that's good so he's incredible what age did he start at I mean he looks like he's like eight <laughs> this yeah, huge bass he was he was probably like nine or ten at that point he was he was little for a little while he used to stand on this, uh, we had this toy box and it was like this little wooden toy box with a lid and we'd bring it everywhere and he'd have to stand on that to play the bass, but he could sure hold down the rhythm. He's so good. Yeah, he's great. It's so, it's so cool to see those old videos, man. You guys kind of yep. came along at a perfect time for that internet age, like for YouTube right. videos and stuff like that. And you have, you have like a yeah. time capsule of your, of your playing, you know, right oh, there. Yeah. It's like so neat. So what got you guys into bluegrass? You, you start classical and, you know, it's a pretty, pretty big leap in styles from, right, you know, for uh, sure. Bach to uh, Bill Monroe. <laughs> right. Bill Monroe, classical music. <laughs> yeah. That's, I'd like to see like Mozart and Bill Monroe have a cup of tea together or something. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we did live in Southwest Missouri at the time and there was a lot of folk music and bluegrass and other family bands around. And um, it really just started because of my dad's guitar. And we met, we met this guy close to us. His name's Larry Smith. And he started giving us some lessons and we, I'm not sure who found the first bluegrass music in our family, but it just all of a sudden was there one day and we were like, sunny side of the mountain. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> so I, I don't, 
I don't remember there being like a big, okay, we listen to classical music and now we listen to bluegrass. It was just like all of a sudden it showed up one day and we had a band. And I don't remember a whole lot of exactly how that happened. It it really just seemed like one day it was all classical and then the next we had a bluegrass band and we were traveling. So, <laughs> At what age did you start performing like gigs with the family band regularly? I think I was 11 when we played our first show. Wow. And then by by 12 and 13, we were playing a lot in and around Missouri. And then when I was 17, so by that time, it was just the four of us. And uh, Dave started playing guitar instead of fiddle as much. And then, so we got to travel from like Outer Banks, North Carolina to Cannon Beach, Oregon in that summer. And uh, that was that was so fun just getting to see really the whole countryside and stop in Yellowstone and the Tetons. I don't know. It was, it was cool. My dad went along for that trip and we've got some great memories from that whole time, but. Were you guys booking everything? Was your dad like doing all the booking, just like finding places and like, was it festivals and different things like that? It was some festivals. Yeah. Kind of wherever. Um, we did the, I think it's bluegrass in the forest out in Washington. I can't remember exactly the town, uh-huh. but um, we did that one in like back 40 bluegrass in Missouri. And then the, uh, I guess we were on, we were on the generational generation bluegrass music videos. I don't know if you remember those from uh, Corey Smith. He put those together oh, a couple yeah. years back, oh, yeah. but yeah, we were on that. And um, so some of it was, dad some of it was mom and a lot of it was john doing the booking but um i think i booked like one show in the entire time that <laughs> my band was together because i was so young and for a while I'd, I'd i mean i knew how to talk to everybody after shows but calling someone on the phone and be like give me this much money for my brothers and i to come play some bluegrass it's i i couldn't do that for a long time so that's the worst uh, yeah, part man <laughs> it's it i don't know it's interesting it now i try to think of it more as like okay if if what i do for music is my business then just treat it like that and talk about it like it's my job rather than like it's this personal thing. If people are like, I'm not going to hire you or I don't think you're worth that much. It's like, well, that's fine. I'm, I'll just take my business somewhere else. You know, it's not personal per se. It just is how it works with business. But um, yeah, it's John really did a lot for the band and, and mom and dad, mom and dad were supportive and did whatever they could to help, but they also kind of stayed out of the way. I mean, we, we had a band cause us kids wanted to, and that was, that was really nice because I, uh, I, I don't know. I've met some people where it's like, yeah, I do this because my mom and dad like make me. <laughs> I'm like, whoa! I never really imagined that because my parents were pretty, you know, pretty quiet, introverted, easygoing people, and and they weren't uh, they weren't trying to like make a name for themselves as our parents, you know, like look at our cool kids. They were just like, oh yeah. The kids play music and that's great. Whatever. Oh, that's <laughs> Not cool, that yeah. they weren't proud, but like they were, I don't know. I, I feel like it was a really great way to grow up and see the country experience people of all ages, you know, and, and, uh, we were homeschooled too. So that made that a lot more feasible. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah. Give you a little bit more and probably, you know, a lot of time practicing 
that, you know, when you're, you know, you can kind of put that music studies and focus on that sort of stuff, I would imagine a little bit too, when you're putting a plan together like that. And, right. For but, sure. Yeah. So what did, what did it look like? How was your, what were your woodshedding days like as, you know, when you were younger and, and still really trying to find styles and stuff like that? Like, what did that look like for you? Did you do scales? Were you taking lessons from anybody? Were you self-taught? Mostly self-taught and cool. the AccuTab videos. Oh, um, yeah. Like Wayne Benson, Adam Steffi, and then uh, Sierra Hole did one later. But, yeah, I watched those a lot and just, li- yeah, listened to them. Danny Roberts I listened to a lot when I was about 13 and 14. And um, Wayne Benson still, like, his backup stuff whenever, it, with third time out and, like, the early 2000s and late 90s is some of my favorite mandolin playing I've ever heard. It's like, I just I just go, how did you think to play that behind Russell Moore singing? I love it. You know, it seems like yesterday I heard you say you'd always be my love. So, um, yeah, as far as all that goes... I, I, I never had a lesson one-on-one with anybody. So oh, no kidding! Wow. <laughs> we had a couple band lessons with Larry Smith, who taught us more about bluegrass. But I didn't, I didn't take mandolin lessons. Um, John, John figured out a couple chords and was like, "Do this, and here's how you chop." And I was like, "Okay, I can do that." <laughs> so I mean, I guess the one real lesson I had was kind of from John, and then I watched a bunch of videos and. Um, when I was, when I was about 13 and 14, we'd go down to Mountain View, Arkansas a lot. And there was this mandolin player down there. His name's Samuel Cobb. And he had a band with his two brothers and he was like maybe a year or two older than me, but just so far ahead of me, especially then. And I was just like, how does, how is this kid my age and this good. And I was so mad. I was like, <laughs> Why do I still suck? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. So yeah, people like that, watching people live. And then um my dad would video a lot of stuff and he'd video us playing and just to have the material and we'd go back and watch things and I'd think like, well how can I either play that break better or um I'd either come up with something and play it the same way every time or I'd just do my best every chance I got, you know, but, uh, I didn't get a whole lot into scales until, I don't know, the the last little bit, I'm more interested in it, but I really, I haven't done near enough of that. (laughs) So it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm just now getting a better feel for where everything's at, especially up the neck, but I'm also interested in playing that more now before it was, um, I try to base my leads off of the melody of the song and then add in some stuff. But I I love, I guess I love how, say, Dan Tominski plays very rhythmically and then his note selection is really fun too. And so I I like for my leads to sound fun, like like they're almost hopping around. I don't know, they're dancing a little bit and I love that. It makes mandolin fun for me.
I, oh, I, I've said this before on the podcast, but I've always loved when, like, if somebody comes in to sit in with our band and yeah. they, they've never played with us before, we've never met them, and, you know, but somebody, you know, somehow they got, <laughs> we know they're good enough to not ruin the uh, <laughs> ruin the song. They, they're right. on there, and, and they'll take a song they've never played maybe before and sit in, and then they'll just play the melody and do exactly what you said, like, um, like dance around, like they find they they know the melody right off the bat, and that always blows my mind because so many people just get up there and they're just like, "I got this bag of tricks, and I'm gonna use them right. all right here." And every single one, yeah. But like yeah. when you take that, the first thing I think of when they do that is like this person listens, and then you know, and then they have a great ear, and a, a great ear is a big part of being a great musician, I believe. Well, absolutely, I think. I think of it more as being a team player because I'm not, I'm not trying to be out there just playing a flashy lead or like, Oh, I play mandolin in the band and nobody else is as important as me. It's more like, okay, I love what the bass is doing here and the guitar rhythm. And now my chop fits right in there. And it's so easy, you know, because bass and guitar are already doing their job. And it's, I'm like, sometimes I'll play with different guitar players who aren't used to playing with mandolin or like, if you're not used to being in a band, you don't think of yourself as part of it. It's more like you have to cover all the bases from one instrument. And so I'm like, I'm like, no, don't chop. Like, that's my job. That's why you hired me. Let me do that, <laughs> please. <laughs> like, I love to chop. I'd rather just be in a band and chop than even play lead sometimes. It's like, hire me to chop and sing harmony and I'll be happy. And I don't know, just cause I think of, I hear what every instrument is doing. And um, I was talking to another musician the other day and we were just discussing like when you're playing a lead and if you think you're, you know, maybe you're the weak link in the band. And she was saying like, um, she was like, well, you know what? That person over there is probably just thinking about whether they sound good or not. And so, they're not really worried about me. So if, if the, whoever hired me to come play this show is happy with it, then, uh, I'm good. Right. And, and I, I was like, well, yes, that's true. And also I totally don't think about it that way. I'm, I'm aware of what everyone else is doing. And so if, you know, if the bass is playing a jazz song on like just your traditional bluegrass song, I'm like, buddy, man, and I, I'm going to need a little more of the one and the five or else I can't talk, you <laughs> right. know, and it's a domino effect. Cause it's like, if, if one guy's too busy, then it kind of knocks off what the other person is doing. And of course that's kind of just my preference and it's, it's okay. It's fine if people play other ways. And it's also been good for me to play with people who don't play, um, play the way that my brothers and I did growing up because it's given me room to experiment with different sounds on the mandolin. And I, I enjoy the other stuff too. It just is like, if I'm playing bluegrass, I'd, I'd love to just play a solid chop, couple simple leads and sing and let, you know, let banjo or guitar or fiddle play like a flashier lead, you know? Yeah. I mean, you kind of get, you kind of dictate the vibe of the songs that way. You know I mean? You're as you're, when you're playing that, that chop in the mandolin, it's kind of like you really can put a pocket in there or make it real hard driving. I mean, you're kind of in, in the driver's seat, even in a, you know, right. as long as everybody else is <laughs> kind of doing what should happen, I suppose, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's, it seems like if, if everyone else is listening to like, okay, what, what's the lyric about? How does, how should we 
make the song feel to listen to. And if everyone's thinking about that too, then it, you really don't, you don't really have a problem. I mean, unless everybody's really thinking the lyrics should sound like this in the song. <laughs> but but if you have a general idea of like, I, I don't know, I love when a slow song isn't just like, you know, oh, that's a slow song. It's more, I picture something. I love to picture like the way that a creek runs over the rocks down, you know, down the valley and just like, how can we make our instruments sound like the trees and the leaves are watching, you know, it's, I think of something visual and try to play like that. And it, I mean, obviously that doesn't always work and not everybody wants to picture something as whimsical or silly as that. So <laughs> I don't think it's yeah. silly as the whimsical may be a good word for it though. That's kind of, that's kind of the fun of playing. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, I think so. Adding moods and, and flavors. Right. If, if everything was just straight ahead hard driving all the time it'd be nobody would listen to it <laughs> you know right. it would just all be exactly the same yeah, it'd all be the same yeah true so how long did the family band stay together for well we played we played most for about six years yeah so i was 12 to 18 and then um we took a good break. We d we don't play a whole lot now. We played one show at the Station Inn back in uh, September, and that was really fun. Just kind of a reunion show, but kind of just for the heck of it because we like to play music together. And uh, yeah, I thought that went really well. It was it was a lot of fun. But yeah, we really just played about six years, and then uh, John had a couple different gigs. Like he played with the Clay Hess Band and played with Jimmy Fortune for a long time. And so we kind of started doing other things and realized like we had different musical interests and having a bluegrass band, like we were good at playing bluegrass together, but if we wanted to branch out and do other music or pursue songwriting that like maybe there'd be other musicians that could um, really get along, you know, come alongside in that vision and take, take control of that and really or ownership of that and you know love it whereas with the siblings sometimes it's a little like well we do bluegrass really well but do I really want to get on board with like your idea for a solo career and it's like if you hire me as just a musician yeah I'd love to do that but it it was it was like Meyer band wasn't um wasn't big enough to hold all of those things at the same time and so I'm really grateful that we've we've been able to you know, still have the companionship and like we play music every time we see each other and uh, whenever we get together at Christmas, it's so much fun. But um, yeah, I'm really grateful that we've been able to go on and do different things, hire other musicians, but also keep hiring each other. Like I, I still play music with uh, everyone that's been in the band. And so um, it just, you know, it, it's like, someone else is the boss. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's really nice. <laughs> yeah, and it seems like you play your brother, your, your brother, John, that's, is he the one you probably play with the most? It seems like yeah. looking at some of the people you play with. Yeah, I play, uh, yeah, I still play mandolin and sing with him a lot. It's the way you tap my arm when you're excited Like a little girl who still can see 
Well, we've actually got a gig this weekend, so that's it's fun. We do a lot of like duo or trio stuff together, and then um, occasionally his full band stuff. When I'm in town, I love to get to be part of that. That's some of my favorite music to play is John's songs. But um, yeah, I, I played fiddle with um, actually my boyfriend Sterling Drake, but I get to play like Western swing fiddle with him, and uh, sometimes my other brothers will come play bass with his band. And that's, that's so much fun because I love, I love just looking around and being like, Oh, it's a Meyer on bass. Like, don't <laughs> <have to> worry. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's great. We're all like, Oh, I'm not really a bass player, but I know what not to play, which is super important. And you can always count on like the one and the five or walking where it needs to be walked. And you know, that's, it's just really I just breathe a sigh of relief. I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, Jimmy's on this gig. I don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> so at, you're listening to, obviously you're listening to bluegrass stuff as your family band's traveling around, but then at some point, because all these other you know, ideas start coming, what other things were you kind of listening to as you guys were traveling around where you're like, ah, you know, I want to maybe try to put some mandolin to this or sing this type of stuff? Yeah, I, I loved anything that I thought sounded pretty. So I started listening to people like Colby Calais when I was about 14 and 15 and um, started to get a feel for pop music. And then um, I loved Southern gospel, which is pretty much just country. But (laughs) (laughs) so I got into country and uh, older country and then people like Chris Daughtry. I loved him so much for a couple years and then found Dirty Loops later. And yeah. uh, yeah, so just like really good musicians playing stuff that I didn't know how to play and either singing along to it or trying to play along to it and fit mandolin in there was was really fun. But yeah, I just I have different moods and so I kind of listen to music on on my mood, you know. Mm-hmm. But So when do you make the move to Nashville initially? Let's see. I was it was in February And I was about to turn 17 and uh, mom and dad lived here for about two years. And that was kind of to give, we still had Meyer band at that time. And so that was kind of to bring us closer to music city. And then there was, we knew a lot of other young people that were doing the same thing that we were either. They had a band or they were musicians and were part of bands. And uh, mom and dad were, they were like, well, we can we can move everybody out there rather than just like sending a couple of us kids that were still really young off to Nashville. <laughs> so, yeah, I ended up here and that was in 2014. And so when they moved back to Missouri in 2016, I, I was like, I'd love to move back to Missouri and uh, still play music, but maybe not maybe not do as much as I thought I was going to and and we got back to Missouri and I remember pulling up in the driveway of of the house and uh, I was like, nah, (laughs) not doing this yet. (laughs) I was wrong. (laughs) I I can't, I can't do it yet. So I knew I had to come back here and John actually stayed out here for a while. And I spent some time between Nashville and then uh, South Louisiana where my, my mother's parents are. And I split some time between there and then just had a lot of friends back here in Nashville that were like, you definitely should move back. And so John was kind enough to let me crash with him for a couple months before I uh, found my own place. And yeah, so I've just been 
here ever since. That's amazing. Kind of like kind of a little bit of a culture shock from Missouri, I'm guessing, when you first go there with it's just like it's, there's music always everywhere. <laughs> right. Well, that that was the weird thing. It's like I knew a couple other young people that played, but they were all it, they were, you know, an hour and a half to two hours away. And you'd see them once every couple months, maybe. But it was not like here where like every night multiple friends of yours are playing at different venues and you're like, I don't know which one to go see. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's been so cool though. I mean, the station in has been such a, such a, I don't know, just it shaped me so much in the access to the quality of musician that you get to go see there, you know, whether it's like 45 RPM or new Mondays and it's just being like, just getting to watch somebody play and you're like I've heard you on every single album ever because I'm I've noticed that a lot of the other genres they hire bluegrass musicians to play on their albums right right and I'm like hmm does that mean they're the best yeah <laughs> that's <laughs> so, right and you know shots fired there but um I mean someone like Aubrey Haney it's like what what do you do you know Stuart Duncan and Joe Spivey they're just incredible so, uh, yeah, just being close to musicians here has been so helpful and so fun, you know, to see people doing kind of the same thing you are. So it's it's you're playing with a lot of different acts right now. I mean, when um, you and I were texting, like currently gigging with was was quite a few acts. So I'd love to talk a little yeah. bit about like how you maybe prepare for a gig like that i mean we kind of <laughs> talked a little bit about the diamond rio the two-day 26 song um right. you know but you know what's it like for you to 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 get ready to go out and what do you kind of like work on as a mandolin player to prepare yourself for some of these gigs i listen to the material as much as i can i mean growing up um i read music a lot i could read notes before i could read words <laughs> and and uh yeah. So, but my, my piano teacher at the time would get annoyed with me because I'd ask for the CD and I'd go home and just fall asleep listening to it. And I'd be like five years old and come back and be transposing whatever song from this instrument onto that instrument into that key. And she was like, no, like you have to learn the actual notes, <laughs> just how I wrote it in the book. And I'm like, no, I want to play it here. <laughs> and so to me, listening to it is the biggest thing that I can do because um, once I have the melody and remember the notes that I'm supposed to sing, then it's like, all right, the, the words I can be watching for cues from somebody else. You know, I watch singers lips all the time. And, um, as far as mandolin goes, it's paying attention to the, the sound that the band is going for and trying to kind of mold my playing to fit that while staying true to myself as a player, you know, it's like, well, you, you called me to play the gig, not someone else who plays a different kind of way, you know, but, um, it's really the melody still just thinking about the melody, unless there's something specific that they're like, play this exact melody and these fills. And it's like, all right, I'll, I'll learn that, you know, but, um, yeah, it's for sure. Just listening to the material. Yeah. If you had to go back and think of what CD it was that you probably spent the most time trying to learn and transcribing and working out licks, what do you think it would be? 
Man, <laughs> well, when I was little, I I learned Suzuki stuff, so definitely something from Suzuki. <laughs> but I play that. I'd sit next to my little CD player, play, rewind, play, rewind, and then fall asleep to it and wake up and play it. So, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. You've been playing music for so long. How cool. Yeah, it's it's always been there as long as I can remember because I was – I was three when I started taking cello lessons with my mom. And uh, at that time, like, if, if a parent wants their kid to take a lesson, the parent has to learn the instrument too with however however teaching and those books were at the time. That's just kind of what they did. And so I thought it was amazing, like, getting to go take these cello lessons with my mom. And, you know, a cello for a three-year-old is like a big fiddle, you know. It's so <laughs> tiny. But – uh yeah, so I I love cello, but we moved away from there, and so I didn't I didn't get to keep my cello because we were renting it. But, oh yeah, yeah, which breaks my heart. <laughs> <laughs> Never too late. You can I'm sure you could find one in Nashville somewhere. Right. Probably I know, there's probably just, like one sitting around that you know of someone who's just just sitting in a closet true. somewhere. There you go. That's true. I'm gonna be calling my friends. Yeah. If anybody <laughs> anybody's listening to this who knows Mary and knows a friend who's got a cello, she could borrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. I would love to have a cello in the house. That'd be so fun. Oh man, that'd be amazing. Let's go do a little bit about more. You talked a bit about how um, you, you you envisioned Adam Steffi's arm on your body <laughs> to get that chop. Jeez. Sorry, Adam. <laughs> you also, I mean, you have a very full single note tone but you are definitely not swinging for the fences when you're playing those solos or it doesn't look like it on the videos i mean you seem to have a very uh very well thought out right hand technique and i'd love to talk a little bit about how you developed that and 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 you know how you what you listen to and what you do to try to get the sound from your head to your hands to your ears so yeah a lot a lot of my tone is really my Northfield mandolin. And I I got so lucky with this mandolin. I feel like I've played a couple that I love as much as this one, but this one is just, I mean, Adam Steffi played this and he said, don't ever sell this, but if you do call me, but don't ever sell it. <laughs> <laughs> so this thing, I, I love it. I mean, it's, I've had it since I was 14. So it's really, been part of my learning and how I, how I understand mandolin to be. And, uh, so as far as tone and the holding the pick and everything, I, I just would listen to it and try different things. Like, do I like holding the pick more straight or do I like holding it at an air, um, more of a, uh, I can't even think of angle. That's the word, (laughs) (laughs) um, more of an angle. And I just messed with it until I liked how it sounded, but Mm -hmm. I didn't really have a, like I didn't really study how other people did or whatever that much. I mean, Adam Seppi plants a lot. And so I started out doing that a lot more. And occasionally I still do if it's on uh, more hard driving stuff, but it's, that's a little more intense, you know, like I can feel it after I'm playing like, wow, I was holding on really hard and I need to loosen up a little bit. So I've stopped planting as much, but, um, still really try to let the mandolin sound come out and it, I, I don't know. I, I don't try to put me on it as much as I do. Like, I love how this sounds and I want to show people. And so, um, 
yeah, I guess that's kind of been my strategy. I don't know if that's yeah, <laughs> correct no. or not. But no, it's no, it d- d- doesn't matter if it's correct or not. It works. That's <laughs> all that matters. You know, it's, I hope cor- so. it's correct if it works for you and it sounds great. That's the other thing. I mean, if it sounded well, thank you. terrible, then it'd be like, oh, I want to change right. that. <laughs> you like, don't I have wish that you issue. wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What model Northfield is it? So this is a NF F5M and uh, it's it's like the ones they made before they started making the Big Mon. Um, so it's just like... <sighs> I don't really know as much as I should know about it, oh, but really right. just that it sounds good. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's all you need to know. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's, it's just, uh, it's number 75. Oh, so wow. No kidding. kind of early yeah. in there, but. Wow. Yeah. yeah. A- they, they actually sponsor this podcast every episode, Adrian. And, and, oh, wow. Yeah. I got to meet everybody there this summer. I went to the, like their little uh, company retreat they took there in Marshall, Michigan and play a gig there with some friends of mine and uh, Adrian and everybody at Northfield are just super cool, man. That's awesome. Yeah. I haven't really met anybody there. I mean, I've been by at IBMA to play the other mandolins a couple of times, but um, I need to, I guess I should call them and, or get in contact with someone and say, Hey, I've, I've sold at least six of your mandolins. Cause I love mine so much. <laughs> So I'm like, do you know I exist? Oh yeah, I bet you they do. They no, got their they got their ear to the ground, man. They uh oh, that's cool. Yeah, they're um they're super cool. Yeah, it's 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 like I, I mean, it's like a family. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The thing the thing with mine is like you know how they sound amazing, kind of right off the bat. Well, that's because it's a little bit thinner wood and everything, and um, mine has a thin finish on it, so it gets scuffed up easier, which just makes it look like it's a thousand years old, which is fine. Um, but it's actually, I mean, it's holding up pretty good, but when it starts to cave in on the bridge, I'm like, either I'm going to have to get one exactly like this, or I may just, I'm like, I'll just quit mandolin. I can't imagine <laughs> playing without, you know, a mandolin like this. Cause I, I just love this one so much. It's yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It's, it's so easy. Well, I don't think you have to worry about that bridge crumbling in or anything, but uh, <laughs> I'll definitely uh, I'm gonna send him a copy of this, man. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And um, what about picks and stuff? Do you have like a uh, do you have like a favorite pick you use or? I typically use blue chip a lot. Um, kind of a I I normally use a sixty, which is like Holy so big. Cow. That's like a dinner. Know, that's like a dinner saucer or a, like I a know. cup saucer. But the way that it chops is so strong for this mandolin. And uh, so I, you know, either I have to keep more of a pointy edge on it or else I can't play fast with the dang. But um, <laughs> but anyway, I, I like that. And then I really like tortoise shell for other things, which I don't know if I'm, am I allowed to say I like tortoise shell? Anyway. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I use those a lot. And uh, yeah, blue chip for sure, though. That's been my... I've used that for about ten years. Do you do much studio stuff then? You said when Diamond Rio had contacted you, you were in the you were in a session. Yeah, I I do for my friends and uh, just I mean I I like it as much as possible. Um, so like I've done work with Theo and Brenna, and then uh, John's album, of course. And yeah, the session I was in on though, I was playing fiddle on. So oh, no kidding, cool. <laughs> but I. Yeah, I love to sing. I love to sing. I love to help people produce harmonies and all of that. So uh, I've gotten to do some stuff 
with a friend of mine who has a rock band. I got to be the female lead on his whole album. And so that was, that was really cool for me because, um, I have kind of a softer voice and, uh, just hearing it in a different genre was really eye opening for me because I was like, Oh, I can, I can do more than just kind of bluegrass or like soft music. It's like, I can do something that's like out there and a little edgy. So that was fun. Who's the artist if people want to hear it? It's uh, blackout balter. So I, I sang lead on a couple on just two of their songs, but all the female harmonies are me on that album. And it's, it's fun music. And, uh, yeah, so Phil Cohen is the lead guy, and he's he's worked some with the Killers and oh, wow. uh, folks like that. So, yeah, he I feel like he knows everyone. I'm like, <laughs> how did how did you get me to sing on this? You know, but we just ended up in the studio at the same time together, and he went out to lunch, and I was like, you know, I could sing that girl part. Like, I asked the engineer, I was like, you mind letting me just sing that real quick? And then when he comes back from lunch, we'll see if he likes it. <laughs> he got back, and he was like. That's you. That's He's awesome. Like, I'm gonna call my other girl and cancel. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I'm not trying to make anyone mad. I just thought that would be fun to sing, and I wanted to see if you liked it. So that's brilliant. Yeah. That is like, uh, that's that's uh, that's what you got to do sometimes. I mean, you have to take the chance to be like, I, I bravo. Like, I just that uh, that's amazing to be like. Hey, can you mind if I Thank just give you. that a crack real quick? <laughs> that's yeah, so cool. I, I had a friend there that was like, yeah, you could sing it. Just try it. And so I had a little. uh help in my being being like brave enough to do that but well nothing wrong with nothing wrong with a little help (laughs) right yeah well it's funny because you can tell someone what you do or if you're good at it or not but it's like they they're not gonna know if they like it until they hear you and so um yeah just like just do it (laughs) but is there going to be a um, a Mary Mayer or Mary Mayer? Sorry, gosh darn it, Mary <laughs> Mayer solo album. Eventually, yes. I have been writing a lot of original songs, and uh, it's you know there's for sure bluegrass influences, but I love country and western swing, so there'll be that on there as well. But um, yeah, I don't. It's it's interesting when you do a solo project. I feel like it's hard to. Um, it's hard to stay or like let people know that you're still interested in side work. And my whole living is made off of side work right now being like, I'm not the front man and I don't have my own shows. I just play for five other bands. And uh, (laughs) I've seen this happen though, where someone's like, Oh, I'm doing a solo album and people just stop calling because they're like, Oh, I didn't want to get in your way of you doing your own thing. And it's like, no, I'd, I'd love to have my own thing almost as like a, uh, a a uh, business card you know of like here's what I'm capable of doing I can write I can sing I can produce I can play all these different instruments and um so like keep calling me for all of these different roles in your band (laughs) (laughs) but so that's a little intimidating and I'm I'm trying to figure out how to do that the right way to where the work that I have now you know knows that I'm not just I'm not like oh I put out a a single. And so now never call me again for a gig. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, no, please hire me. <laughs> like you're buying my groceries. I got to pay for recording this single. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So um, you said you play fiddle as well. Is there anything that you've um, learned on fiddle that you made you approach something differently on mandolin? Yeah, I, 
so I've been listening to Johnny Gimble a lot, of Ooh, course. Cool. And yeah. uh, so just, I mean, and he was also a mandolin player and a really good mandolin player. And so um, I, I've been listening to everything that he's done and, The note selection for that has been really inspiring on mandolin because on on something like Lady Be Good, you really can do whatever you want. So, um, yeah, it's I I like that. I like that a lot. Just being able to, you know, have the fingerings be similar and then um, going back between the pick and the bow, though, is, that's still goofing me up pretty hard. So. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I, I always want to play fiddle but like every time i pick one up it sounds like a dying cat and i just i can't it's, i just can't do it yeah <laughs> it just, it just like takes so much work oh yeah. man yeah no frets like yeah. what the heck <laughs> yeah i can't even get the boeing to work right i just like i can't do this i'll have a panic attack yeah. every time i pick it up <laughs> right yeah it's for sure a different different animal so well that's awesome let's spend spend so much fun talking i've got a couple more questions for you here okay yeah um, the first one i have is um and i ask this to everybody if you had 10 minutes a day to work on something on mandolin because a lot of people don't have a lot of free time i like to ask people who who do have a lot of free time if you only had that short amount of time what would you work on to help get better that maybe somebody else could apply huh that's that's a great question um let's see now I'm trying to think of what I actually would work on. I I like again working on rhythmic breaks. And um so yeah, part part of that is knowing where all your notes are, which would be scales, of course. But um yeah, I, I love listening to other breaks and trying to do that. And it's it doesn't have to be bluegrass you know you can look up some crazy saxophone solo and try to learn that but I like I like doing something that's that feels like something I've never heard before so um I like to picture something in my head and then go to the mandolin and learn it because you can come up with something in your head but when you sit down with an instrument a lot of times your fingers just start playing what they already know and that can be limiting for you so um yeah a lot of times I imagine it and then I go try to learn it and that's, yeah, that that's actually what I do when I sit down with it. So yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. Do you um do you have like a uh, speaking of breaks and rhythmic breaks and stuff? Is there one of like on mandolin per se that kind of stands out to you of, that you might be like that that right there is like what I'm working towards. That was perfect for this song. I so Dan Zminski and Josh Williams. Really, anything they do. Yeah. <laughs> like stealing away how Josh Williams plays mandolin on that. Dan Tominsky and Money in the Bank and, uh, and, uh, and Sweet Blue Eyed Darling, just those make me so happy. 
And then the final question, you are not a beer drinker, so I, I've got a uh, another question for you, and that is, okay. do you have a favorite fiddle tune to play? A favorite fiddle tune would be St. Anne's Reel. Oh, I love I that, that one, man. I think that is such a beautiful That's... song. Yeah. That's so definitely great. Definitely that one. Fantastic. Yep. Well, Mary, where can everybody find you? Where where on the uh, social medias can people track you down and and see where you're going to be at? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook by typing in Mary Meyer Music. Just about everything that I've got is under Mary Meyer Music. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and my email is that. So if you need to reach me, that's probably the best way to do it. And then um, YouTube is also Mary Meyer Music, I believe. So yeah, it's pretty easy. Just three M's and I play a mandolin and I'm from Missouri and <laughs> music, you know, so yeah. lots of M's. Just remember M's. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I'll post links too on my website and in the description here of this. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Well, this has been fantastic talking to you. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah. I really appreciate it. For sure. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, this man. Anytime. Let me know when that solo album comes out and we'll, we'll talk All again right, and promote it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Daniel. All right. There you go, Mary. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. She was great. And uh, you guys have yourselves a wonderful weekend. Be sure to check out my sponsors and have a great day. Cheers, everybody.